Hi, it's Ken White. Hi, it's Josh Barrow, and this is Serious Trouble. This is a brief bonus episode for you. Uh, We already put out an episode this week that we taped amidst the Alex Jones trial. It was an episode for premium subscribers. And as I say, we were taping amidst the Alex Jones trial. Uh, And so then after we taped, uh, Alex Jones was cross-examined. You've probably seen some news about this. The the cross-examination had a lot of juicy, interesting stuff that we could not pass up doing an episode about. So we're back again with this additional episode. But so if you are a premium subscriber, I would suggest listening to the main episode that came out this week first. Uh, That has more background on the Alex Jones trial, how it was even possible for Alex Jones to lose this case by default. Because he's not really on trial for defamation. He's on trial to see what the damages will be for the defamation claim on which he already lost by default because he was so uncooperative uh, during the pretrial process. If you're not a premium subscriber uh, and you want to hear that, you can go to SeriousTrouble.show and become a premium subscriber. We also talked about Anna Delvey on this episode and uh, what it's like to have a, a nightmare sociopath client. You may remember Anna Delvey, the fake heiress who went around New York uh, scamming various idle rich people, uh, now has a former lawyer uh, who's calling her a bitch in the media. Uh, usually not a, not a great sign. Uh, anyway, you can go find that episode uh, there at SeriousTrouble.show. But Ken, this week, or again this week, uh, let's talk about Alex Jones. Uh, this cross-examination was, uh, boy howdy, pretty remarkable. Uh, and and I, the most remarkable part is what Alex Jones himself called the Perry Mason moment where Mark Bankston, the attorney uh, for the plaintiffs, uh, Sandy Hook parents, uh, whom Alex Jones defamed by claiming that they had staged their own children's death in a fake mass shooting, he gets up and says to Alex Jones, do you know that your attorneys accidentally sent me an entire copy of your cell phone, including two years of all of your text messages. And he goes on, you know, and we told your attorneys they'd done this, and they made no effort to assert any sort of privilege over it. So here I have all of this stuff. And as we'll get into, you know, it's stuff that, you know, Jones and his attorneys probably in a lot of cases were supposed to turn over already and didn't. So that's a problem. But how do you fuck up that badly? Both sending the thing you're not supposed to send and then failing to take the adequate steps to deal with the fact that you sent it. And then, as far as I can tell, also not informing your client that you had made this mistake that he was going to be asked about once he got on the witness stand. Well, Josh, this was a extraordinary chain of events. And, uh, on Twitter, one of the uh, writers for Law and Order said, basically, you'd never see this on our show because we never write anyone to be this stupid. Um, <laughs> and so it's different questions, why it got turned over and then why they didn't do anything about it. Why it got turned over, I mean, one of the downsides to hiding stuff in discovery and not complying with discovery requirements and, uh, you know, not producing what you're supposed to produce is that it's easy to slip up and accidentally produce something you meant not to produce. (laughs) So if you don't have a principled reason why you're turning things over or not, then it's hard to keep track of what you're doing. Uh, Cases like this, there's constantly huge volumes of stuff going back and forth you know, uh, exhibits and uh, discovery and documents about the progress of the trial and motions and so forth. So it's very easy to accidentally produce something or even accidentally not produce something. So I can see how that would happen fairly easily. You know, some folder gets put into the Dropbox. uh, That's the wrong folder and bang, there you are. The more interesting question is why they didn't do anything about it. So Texas has a, a law governing this sort of thing that says that if you accidentally produce documents that include privileged documents, and this did because it's his phone and includes communications with his lawyer, then once you're notified of it, you have 10 days to do something about it, basically to modify 
your written response and to assert privilege, and then the other side has to turn the stuff back over. And Alex Jones's attorneys didn't do that. Yes, yeah, so you had a number of these moments where they they'd claimed that there were no text messages to produce from Alex Jones regarding Sandy Hook, and then of course they found text messages about Sandy Hook and the phone. He claimed that he doesn't use email. Then they're having him read his emails, and he says, "Oh, I must have dictated that to my assistant." And so, did Alex Jones commit a crime? Did his lawyers commit a crime? If you're supposed to produce documents in discovery and you intentionally fail to produce them, is that obstruction of justice or, or something? Oh, I mean, technically it could be. Certainly Jones, to the extent he testified on the stand uh, or, you know, in a, a sworn declaration or anything that there were no texts or no emails, that could be perjury. The truth is, Josh, though, that crimes arising out of the conduct of civil litigation incredibly rarely get prosecuted. It is so extraordinarily rare for someone to be prosecuted for perjury for lying in the course of a civil case or for obstruction of justice for you know discovering misconduct. I get that that might be rare, but this seems like a case that might be of particular interest to a district attorney, right? I mean, Alex Jones is is such a, is, he's a very w- widely known figure. He's a very widely disliked figure. He is engaged in, in all sorts of other terrible behavior that might not be criminal I mean, it's sort of like getting O.J. Simpson for armed robbery, right? It's like, you know, if you see this opportunity to indict Alex Jones for something, isn't it tempting to just take that? Well, I mean, it's Texas, Josh. It's not Vermont. I, I, I'm not sure well, if, it's, the, it's, if the, the Texas it's DA Travis is, County, Texas. OK, but I think that probably a DA is going to say whatever happens with this jury is going to be punishment enough. And getting dragged into a civil case uh, is a huge expenditure of time and resources, and often they think it's just not worth the trouble. Criminal authorities have a, a very ingrained reluctance to get dragged into civil disputes because they see, they think they're just being sort of used as leg breakers by one side or the other, and they think that civil stuff should stay in civil court. And that's why it's so extraordinarily rare to see anything like this prosecuted. And believe me, Half my new clients who uh, come to me looking for help in a civil case are saying, and this is great, you're going to be able to get these people prosecuted because they've lied. Everyone wants it to happen, (laughs) and it doesn't happen. It happens, you know, one in a million. So I I think far more likely is some sort of bar consequences with the state bar, possibly uh, uh, post-trial sanctions by the judge. Those are the consequences most likely to flow. Those are consequences that could befall the attorneys, right? I mean, so I guess if it's rare to charge people criminally for this stuff, and presumably most of the time that people violate their obligations in discovery, they don't get caught. So you need some sort of deterrence to make people afraid to do this. So the deterrence is just like... Bar sanctions? I mean, we've talked a lot on all the president's lawyers about how hard it is to get anybody sanctioned by the bar unless they steal money from a client. Well, the deterrents are things like the default judgment that you already got here, uh, things like monetary sanctions, things like pissing off the judge so that the judge starts ruling against you on everything, and the general array of civil sanctions like that. So those are are generally about what you get. You know, the the DAs are super busy with, uh, you know, bank robberies and drugs and stuff like that. And you can make the argument they should get more involved in civil cases, but they never have. And I don't think there's any prospect they're going to because they would just get flooded with people saying, hey, in my case, there was perjury. This is outrageous. And and half the time it's just a dispute uh, over, you know, memory or something like that. The other thing is it's really hard to prosecute um, a perjury case 
in this type of circumstance when the person's going to be saying, well, you know, Jones's defense is going to be, well, I turned everything over to my attorney and I assumed my attorney was going to produce what they were supposed to produce and they gave me these declarations to sign and so forth. And in fact, the, the Jones's attorney got up briefly for, for redirect to basically ask Alex Jones, you just gave us your stuff and you trusted us to handle it correctly, which was sort of an embarrassing question because we, we've seen that they handled it very incorrectly. Right. But uh, at, at, at least that helps establish what, what you're going for there, that whatever happened, it was not Alex Jones's fault. One reason these communications are of particular interest in this trial is some of them contain information about the finances of InfoWars and of Alex Jones. And one of the ways that Mark Bankston was, was making use uh, of the contents of the phone was to talk about stuff like profit margins on prepper meals. Right. Uh, that Infowars was selling, which sounds trivial, but basically lay, laying out a case that Infowars is a lot more profitable than Alex Jones is letting on. In some cases, bringing in eight hundred thousand dollars a day. Alex Jones trying to protest, "Hey, you know that was just an especially good day. That's not a normal day." But basically, the point of this is to you want the jury to to make a really big damage award, and therefore you want to convince them that Alex Jones, in fact, has a great deal of money. And that there's value in, in awarding a large amount of damages. Right. And well, I guess and the other thing would be to suggest that Alex Jones not only maliciously lied, he lied in a way that was fostering this business that was, in fact, enriching him quite a bit. Right. Because Jones and the other people had said that they were canceled, that they were deplatformed, that after this controversy, the business suffered dramatically and um, that therefore... Uh, you know, you shouldn't punish them. And, and this stuff sort of suggests that they were just lying about that, straight up lying. So one of the, the virtues of this evidence is it just gets the jury to start saying, you know, everything these people say is a lie. But the other is absolutely to suggest that not only did they say these terrible things about these families and, and set loose their crazy followers on them, but also that they made money off of it. They did it for a profit. Uh, so that's very powerful evidence. Another entertaining aspect of this examination was that, you know, as, as we discussed uh, on this week's main episode, Alex Jones has been on trial. He generally hasn't been physically present for the trial, although he obviously had to be there for his own testimony. But he's been commenting on the trial on his show as it's been happening. And he said disparaging things about the judge and the jury. Uh, he said that the jury consists mostly of blue collar people who don't really know what's going on. He complained that half of the jurors didn't even know who he was before the trial started, which I can understand why that would that would be aggravating. And then also uh, made various attacks on the judge, claimed that she was connected to pedophilia in some way, uh, showed this gif of her being engulfed in flames, uh, suggested that she's possessed by a demon. Um, a, lot of, a lot of demon talk on this show this week. Again, go uh, listen to that premium episode. Go to SeriousTrouble.show. <laughs> you can hear us talk a lot more about demons. This was remarkable. What was the point of this other than to, I guess it's just to both, I mean, you know, I'm sure if, if you're trying to argue to the jury, you, you want to point out that the opposing party has contempt for the jury. The other thing is that it sort of reinforces the overall narrative about how Alex Jones has operated with contempt for this whole proceeding and has not dealt honestly and forthrightly with the court. I mean, it's, you know, the same the same thing where he's, you know, he's not producing the documents he has to produce in discovery that have important information for the trial. Uh, and he's saying the judge is possessed by demons. Right. And, and part of it is it's countering the narrative. Oh, I've learned better. Right. 
I realized that in fact Sandy Hook was real and now I'm not going to do stuff like that anymore. I'm more careful. Or meanwhile, he's directly insulting the judge and jury he's in front of. It conveys that he's still completely out of control. He's just pure id and he's going to continue doing stuff like this to people unless you really smack him hard. Uh, and the, the, the sneering at the jury for, for being blue collar is a perfect example. First of all, it's completely incoherent. I mean, it, it's not like the the target audience of Infowars is the complete department at Oberlin, right? Uh, so <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not sure... Uh, I, I'm not sure what his point is there, that somehow his audience is, is largely blue collar, but... His explanation of that, such as it was, was basically sort of... He was trying to suggest that what he meant is that these people were like salt of the earth and they were busy with their jobs and their lives and they didn't have time to pay attention to various news nonsense because they're they're so busy with their, you know... Yeah, they were keeping America going. It wasn't very convincing, but that was more or less his attempt to explain this in response to a question from the jury. And we'll get to the jury questions in a moment. The jury had their opportunity right. uh, to question Alex Jones. Or actually, why don't, why don't we talk about that? The jury... First of all, do, when does the jury get to ask questions in a trial? That's not always a feature of the trial, right? It's not. Some states permit it, and usually it's up to the individual judge whether they allow it to happen. And you'll get very sharply differing opinions on whether or not it's a good thing. Uh, on the one hand, uh, some people say it lets the jury really articulate what they're not getting or what they think is important and get to the truth. On the other People think, uh, like me, for instance, think that it encourages the jury to see themselves as participants instead of judges and to kind of perform and ask uh, smart questions that are more designed to show off or uh, get in little digs than actually find the truth, which I think is uh, definitely the case here, where some of them were, as commentators have said, when have you, you know, when did you stop beating your wife type questions? Yeah, there, the, the questions. So first of all, there were a couple of the you know, and the jurors are human, I understand this, asking, you know, what makes you think we're blue collar? Um, asking, do you understand that we are, you know, an, an intelligent and fair-minded group of people? There was also one really weird question uh, about some 2006 Christopher Hitchens article about the Charlie Hebdo shooting and trying to draw some sort of link to that. And I think, Ken, to your point, this looked like some juror trying to show off, trying to be an intellectual. I guess that there have been previous juror questions for, for other parties in, in this case. And it looks like there's one real weirdo on the jury. Yeah, there's there's the, uh, this is more a comment than a question guy. Uh, so, <laughs> yes. As an attorney in a case where there are questions from the jury, can you read a lot into how you're doing based on what the jury is asking? Do, do they tell you a lot about whether the jury's favorable or unfavorable to you? And do they influence... Do they influence your strategy about how you might proceed in the trial after you see what they're asking? Well, you, you absolutely try to answer their questions or direct attention to the things that they seem to be thinking about. And it can give insight. But like you said, these are just people. People are weird. And sometimes they're just asking idle questions that you know, flit across their brain that don't actually have anything to do with how they're going to resolve the case. Uh, you know, so the the questions you get from a jury by jury note while they're deliberating can be the same. You know, you, you can think you can divine outcomes from it, but sometimes they're just weird ass questions that go nowhere. This case is obviously not going to settle, but I but I would imagine another thing that it could influence is, is settlement negotiations, right? Sometimes you settle in the middle of a trial. Absolutely. Uh, usually if it's going badly for one side or, or the other, 
or sometimes when just the client had to see what it looked like to be going through this in order to finally decide to settle. <laughs> so absolutely, uh, jury instru- jury uh, questions, whether during the trial or even during deliberation sometime, can inspire a, a last-minute settlement. What are we waiting for now? The jury is going to render a damages award, and then there will be appellate litigation? The jury's going to render a compensatory damages award, Then there's supposed to be a consideration of whether and how much punitive damages to give. But right now, the jury's deliberating. Uh, we'll find out about that. And yes, and after all that, there are post-trial motions. You know, Alex Jones's attorney's asking the judge to throw out the jury verdict for various reasons, uh, and then the appeal. Well, that's enough serious trouble for for this week on our double dose of Alex Jones. But remember, if you're a premium subscriber, there's another episode that came out a few hours before this one. It's, it's about Alex Jones and the prior developments in the trial. It's also about a defamation suit against CNN that involves demon sperm. Sorry to say that uh, defamation suit was dismissed recently, so there's not going to be a demon sperm trial. We also talked about Anna Delvey, also known as Anna Sorokin, the uh, fake German heiress whose uh, prior lawyers are talking shit about her in the news. Yikes. You can get that episode right now at SeriousTrouble.show. Tell us what you think about this episode and send us any questions that you have about what we've discussed here or any other serious trouble that interests you. You can reach us by email at... Uh, Ken, I'm having some trouble reading this. What's the, yeah, what's the email address? Sure you are. It's RicoHotline at SeriousTrouble.show. Yes, RicoHotline. That's R-I-C-O Hotline. Thank you for your assistance there, Ken. Uh, and you can join the conversation about this episode and more again at SeriousTrouble.show. I'm Ken White. And I'm Josh Barrow. Serious Trouble is created and produced by Very Serious Media. That's me and Sarah Fay. Jennifer Swadek mixed this episode. Our theme music is by Joshua Mosier. This is Serious Trouble. More headed your way soon. <laughs>